Hello everyone and welcome to the Civic Podcast. So in this episode I'm going to be speaking a bit about what is feminism specifically. I'm going to try and scrape through all the different aspects of feminism, the different kinds of feminist movements, the history behind feminism in itself and try to give a bit my personal point of view on such a broad and difficult topic to discuss. Uh, I will try to be as specific as possible and stay track as much as possible but then again this will probably be an episode with some following episodes going a bit more into depth into every single topic Okay, so as you all already know, today we're going to be speaking about feminism, specifically. Why? Because we're the 10th of March, and two days ago was International Women's Day. So we're going to try and dig a bit into virtually anything we can, because it's a very, very broad subject. And I'm not going to put a time limit on this one, so I'm not going to rush it, because it is a lot of things I want to speak about. But then again, each of these topics can indeed be divided in one episode as themselves. Um, in the near future, I did say I do want to start bringing a lot more people onto the onto the channel. I only I was only able to bring one via Zoom, but it wasn't the best format either. Um, I'm going to move apartments this Sunday too, so hopefully I will be able to make a a, a nice space, let's say in the living room, and try and make like face to face conversations when the COVID measures uh, allowed. COVID measures, I guess you should say COVID, not COVID. Um, in any case, so I mean, I, I, I will bring people to uh, to debate these kind of things a bit later on. I just want to start to give a bit my my opinion and my impression on that. And yes, it does sound uh, a man giving his opinion about feminism. Well, if you don't agree, go check the other episode I made about non-identified opinion, basically saying that anyone can give their opinion on absolutely everything and everyone's entitled uh, to their voice, let's say, uh, underlining principle of freedom of speech. Now, of course, uh, my own experiences might not be as legitimate. Own experiences, not what I'm saying. I'm being very specific what I'm saying. Uh, my own experiences, because they're not the same because I'm not a woman. So, of course, I can't know 100% what every woman feels or what, how every woman um, sees things in a way. Uh, but then I can try and get an em- um, sort of a sense of empathy towards all the women and the different things they are revendicating and we're going to speak about different things that they are revendicating too. Um, firstly, we should we should know a bit the historical context. Uh, the 8th of March was initially started by women workers in the Soviet Union in, in 17th of, uh, sorry, in 1917. So that's initially where it started and it was only promoted uh, in, in Soviet Russia uh, or the USSR at that point. And then later on, um, it got it got into international sphere, let's say, mainly also through America and through and through Europe. That was around 1960, 1970, I think it was 1977, when it was then um, acknowledged as International Women's Day, the 8th of March in itself. So we need to see a bit what kind of things they are revendicating and why 
I find it such a very, very difficult movement nowadays because it's completely divided. I've said this in, in previous episodes too. Um, the feminist movement, it's something that you no longer know what actual feminism is. Uh, for me, specifically, what feminism is, is virtually what everyone is, from what I see, except from very, very, very slight, uh, let's say, mm, exceptions of some people that really, really are bigots or really don't believe that, that the woman um, has the right to equal dignity, equal opportunities as a man, right? But there is a, there is people, there are, there are people that think that. Um, I'm not saying the contrary at all whatsoever. Uh, but when it comes to the general Western society, we've generally have come to a consensus uh, on a broad scope from left to right, uh, from, from social democrats to conservatives. We've all understood that women and men have the same rights, equal equality opportunity, um, equality uh, before the law, in front of the law, however you want to call it, and so on and so forth. Okay, so, so that we can agree. And feminism is virtually that. Feminism, what it, initially what it means is equal rights for women and men. That's what it says. Now today, the feminist movements have taken lots of different routes, in a way. Uh, you have the abolitionists, you have the non-abolitionists, you have the traditionalists, you have the fundamentalists, you have the LGBTI-friendly feminists, the non-LGBTI-friendly feminists. And why do I make these distinctions? It's mainly because part of the feminist... Oh, one feminist movement, let's say, is essentially against the trans premise, right? Because their womanhood is something they want to celebrate and they do, the way they see it, it's not fair that a man can become a woman because that's something that they were born into, right? Um, so then again, we get to the big trans discussion, uh, can, a, can a biological man become a, become a woman? Uh, can a biological woman become a man? In my opinion, yes, it just depends on your on your criterias uh, of what constitutes a man and a woman, right? But we can speak about this later because even even inside the LGBTQI plus or however, uh, uh, how many um, things you want to put after that, it's it's a very very complicated conversation because firstly the T has nothing to do with the L uh, with the L uh, or the G or the B in a way because one is gender expression or gender identity, the other one is sexual orientation, and then we're always asked to make the distinction between the two, but they still put them all in one same pot. Again, that's one of my main issues with collectivist ideas, is that you cannot just put all the all in one same sack and say we're revendicating the same things. That's a bit what's happening now with feminist movements too, is that they are they are being monop monopolized, let's say, by some specific, some very, very specific political parties, mainly leftist parties. Why? Because they want to go towards a new they want to get as many voters as possible. That's 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 basically what politics is about. It's about saying things that will make people want to vote for you. So of course, the easiest way to do that is by playing identity politics. It's by saying we're going to represent you. Now, this this idea of of representation, it's very funny because then if you can see the numbers, I was just checking. I knew them before. But for example, uh, Ipsos is saying that very very little women actually do identify as feminists as around. It depends on the country and depends on the demographics of age, um, of ethnicity. I don't really like using the word race. It's not something that, that I'm fond of. But, well, anyway, it, it really varies. But it's around 10 to 20% of women that identify as feminists. And this is from US, UK. It usually stays quite stable. And I'm going to suppose it stays that stable throughout Europe or, let's say, uh, Western society in general, uh, Australia, New Zealand, etc. 
uh, or people with Western values. Uh, so that's funny to think about. Such a small percentage of women actually do consider them, themselves feminists. Why will that be? I mean, I think we're up to a point where the flow of information that we have has allowed us indeed to acknowledge the equal rights for women and men. It's something that is in it at this point. Uh, when you're born, it's no longer, you don't longer kill. Well, it happens in, in some parts of the world. I'm not saying it doesn't. Uh, it happens in, in some parts of Asia, some parts of Africa, even South America, I'm not entirely sure. But it, it did usually happen that people did not want to have um, girl children, or let's say kids that are girls. Why? Because it wouldn't help. Uh, they wouldn't be as physically strong as men to help out in the countryside, for example, or in the local business. So, so there's some historical context to this, right? And that's generally what the oppressor-oppressed narrative tries to bring in. It tries to bring historical oppressions that some specific minorities have had. Well, not even minorities. That, that's something I'm, I'm going to bring up just now. That some specific collectives have had and then use that against the oppressor virtually to demonize a group of people and then to get their votes and see them as the enemy in a way. Uh, that's how you create the the big polarization in politics right now. And that's essentially what it is. It's just to oppose two groups of people by saying they are oppressing you uh, without actually any proof of that claim um, in a contemporary manner, right? Historical oppression has been around for quite a long time. Um, what well, was around actually, not 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 now. I want to make I, I want to make those two distinctions really clear because we have come a long way from the Middle Ages in some sense, uh, and then also we need to see how to, how how our perception of history is in itself, so that we can claim that women had less rights than men, or what percentage of women had same rights as men, etc., etc., etc. In terms when I'm speaking with minority, women keep being called a minority, right? And how do you define a minority? Is it a percentage of the population that they represent? Because if that's the case, generally that's how you define a minority, is a, a slight group of people that don't represent a very big number in society, right? And women are usually called minorities. Why? To use it as a tool, let's say, to make them feel oppressed by the majority, which generally is the tyrannical heteropatriarchy more or less uh, that's the name or every day the name changes but basically the tyrannical patriarchy uh, in which they're under so you have to get this M women aren't a minority women are 51 percent of the world population right and i think that's something that in the past made us acknowledge we can't keep disregarding half of the world's population uh we need help with this they have things that they can bring onto the table that men can't do uh and it's just not morally correct Every man and every woman should have the same rights, same equality opportunity. Now, this is where it gets dodgy, because generally, I've spoken about this in one of the last episodes about equality opportunity and equality of outcome, is that it gets dodgy when you no longer have your right definition straight. Because now we're seeing a big push towards equity, right? And equity, essentially, what it means is quotas. I want the equality of outcome um, to get to the same space, because it's we going through the premise that equality opportunity um, it's not enough. You need to go through equality of outcome because then in the end, at every single stratus in society, at every single job, you will automatically get the perfect representation of, of each group in, in one of those stratus, right? Um, that's a general idea. But then again, it is not because there is the freedom of choice of each individual that comes into, into what kind of career path they're going to take or, or personal path or family path, let's say, that, that comes into play. 
and at that point not two people are the same right you can't just expect that because two people are women that they're automatically going to choose the same thing right what what, what happened with united in diversity what happened with all of us being different uh, and I guess just me rambling around again about the, the collectivist idea that in the end it just makes no sense whatsoever because two women can be women, they can have that in common, but virtually everything that represents each one of those women is different about themselves. They grew up in different places, they had different experiences, so you can't really put them all in one sack. Um, okay, I'm going to get back to my to my notes because then I'm just going to get lost in every single thing, but then you've got a small idea of what the historical context is of feminism and, uh, um, and what it's trying to do. So different kinds of feminism. Um, if you get we could argue that the that that the modern uh, let's say feminist movement it's no longer the traditionalist feminist movement now the feminist movement it's all about also rights for minorities um more specifically rights for minorities rights for the lgbti plus community that's generally the the, the biggest political movement that it gets um, and then fundamentalist feminists don't really like the idea of transsexual women either. So there has been some sort of, of clash between between those two groups there. Now, we, we know there are different kinds of feminism. Lots, Virtually any, everyone has their own definition of feminism and nobody is actually... Nobody actually agrees on what it is anymore. I mean, everyone said, yeah, it's equality between men and women. Okay, but that doesn't represent... That doesn't show exactly what you're doing politically or, or what your vindications are or what kind of campaign you're doing. It doesn't go at all. Because like, as far as I'm concerned, equality opportunity and equality before the law is already there. Uh, we've gotten to that stage. So when does it stop? When does this search for perfect equality stop? Uh, and this is when basically they want to get to equality of outcome uh, at that point. But uh, And this comes back to the, to the politicization, let's say, of to politicize uh, feminist movements. That's been happening a lot, especially with leftist parties, uh, mainly Spain, uh, has been with left parties, US, UK, virtually any single leftist party will appropriate themselves of the feminist movement and with the color purple and with all of that. And you may have noticed that the new feminist logo has a fist in it, right? Uh, this is where it gets a bit complicated because generally we could agree that feminism in itself at this point is no longer political. Feminism in itself, when it comes to equality of men and women, uh, actual equality, real equality, equality of opportunity, equality before the law, uh, equality to dignity, etc., 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 is no longer political. It's more of a moral stance. It's something that has been socially accepted. Uh, the government doesn't need to impose that 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 general understanding of things um, between people at some point. But this these political advancements in policy have did have a need to actually show in constitutions or or through the legal codes that men and women are indeed equal uh, before the law and they have the same equality opportunities. And then it's just to each individual to decide what path they want to take. Okay, but so. In my opinion, it shouldn't be a political issue, but it has become a political issue when the feminist movements use the raised fist as a symbol. The raised fist as a symbol was originally also, again, at the beginning of the 20th century, that was mainly used to promote either far-left movements of armed revolution 
or even fascist movements of armed revolution again. So it's generally a call to violent revolution. That's the race fist. That's what it represents, right? And then you can say, it's, it's going to say, no, but today doesn't represent the same thing. So, okay, but it's still not that well viewed. I mean, it's like you say today, I'm going to create a new, uh, new centre movement and use as a symbol the swastika. Well, how is that going to look? I mean, everyone's going to associate that directly to Nazism. Uh, you can't just use any political symbol that you like. So this is not a coincidence that the race fist is being used in most of, the, um, in most of these feminist uh, movements. Right, in most of them. Generally, at the beginning, it was with the feminist symbol, so with the circle and the cross underneath, right? The, um, but then afterwards, they decided to put the, the fist in the middle. And this got really problematic to me when I saw that the, that the Spanish um, National Scout Organization uh, replaced the, the middle petal of the list flower with a raised fist. That's when you make scouting political, and that's, that's unacceptable. That's completely unacceptable. I saw that and that for me was just appalling. It was disgusting. No, no big youth movement like that should get political. None. And you make it political when you use a political symbol. That's the whole point of politics. It's using symbols to represent your ideas or your campaign. That's, that's why political parties have colours. They have logos. They have slogans. They have motos. They have absolutely everything to represent their ideas. And when movements are supposed to represent everyone use something to politicize their own agenda because let's say maybe they got influence in some way or another by specific political parties or specific really nefarious political ideas uh it's just it's it's just unbelievable it's uh it's really disgusting when i saw that to be honest um the, the part that i did like that the 8th of march that it was a day to celebrate women Again, I'm more on the opinion that we should celebrate women every day, we should celebrate humanity every day. The 8th of March, I like it in a sense, because it is a day that you can speak about all of the great things that women have done, to give them that space, to give them that day that we can have uh, women entrepreneurs that can come in, really successful women that can come in, um, create uh, role models for younger women to feel identified as. That's something I, I have nothing against uh, having strong women as role models for younger women that want to feel represented by them right as long as those women got there because of their competence that's something that i really want to push afterwards when you come towards uh differences in psychological traits and differences in the choices that men or women might take and at that point that will have an impact on how it has a professional repercussion in society. That's why some women go more towards a specific type of jobs and some men go towards some other types of jobs. And they're gonna speak about the gender paradox also that's been happening in Scandinavia and that virtually no one actually expected and people nobody actually understood. And then when you bring it up, they're like, oh no, but it's been, um, that's been um, demantled. And yeah, but then another study came on top of that and the gender paradox actually does stay in place. Oh my God, there are so many things to speak about. <laughs> um, so then we come now, okay, so, so, so feminist has become a political appropriation. And the problem with that is that, again, is a collective that says to represent women. But what happens then if women don't vote for your party? Does that mean they're no longer feminists? Does that mean they no longer believe in equality opportunity for women and women, equality of dignity, equality be, uh, before the law? Um, does that essentially what it means, that women need to vote for you? 
because they are women, because you represent their best interests, you have their best interests at heart. Again, I'm very skeptical when people say they have my best interests at heart. It's always something that uh, I haven't really understood, and everyone should be skeptical about that. Same thing when, when Biden was saying uh, regarding the racial issue that if you're black, you have to vote for Democrats. So virtually, if you vote for a Republican and you're a black person, you're no longer black. I mean, what kind of insult is that? That's virtually what's happening right now, is that if you're a woman and you do not vote for the feminist political parties that are generally, excuse me, that, that are generally uh, in parliament, uh, you're no longer a feminist. You're no longer a, a woman because you, are, you, you, you have been brainwashed by the tyrannical heteropatriarchy. Now, we should give a definition to the patriarchy and see exactly what, what they mean by that um, just in a second. And that's my problem with the appropriation of, of specific traits, upon which virtually we didn't really have a choice about. It's the same thing with trans people. They didn't really have a choice of the way they were born. Then they can change. If they feel more women, then in my eyes, they are a woman. If they feel more men, in my eyes, they are men. Um, that's it. And I, and, and, and I will treat them with equal dignity and equal respect as any other person. Um, but that's virtually the, the the big issue with the idea of born this way or created this way with with the biological framework that we all have and the social constructions that come on top. Uh, that's a big discussion in the end. That's uh, even I am I'm, I'm I'm mixing up all my cables in my head. I can't I don't even know how to put that into words. Um, but in any case, so. I'm very skeptical when political movements say they represent women, when in the end, virtually. I had this conversation with someone from the from the Swedish Youth Council, and we were speaking about quotas at some point. And, and basically what she said, that in Sweden, most women vote for a political party that doesn't, um, that says it's not feminist or something like that. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not sure if that was exactly it, but basically the party that said they were most feminist, they were more feminist, didn't have as many women votes. And as you can see, I mean, you can just Google how many women identify as feminists. Uh, it's not even half in some places, in some demographics. It goes maximum up to 44, and that's Democrat women. So even within the Democrat, this uh, in the United States, right? So 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 left-leaning party. Uh, well, not initially, before the Democrats basically would be considered in Europe as a center-right party now. They, depends on who you get in the Democrat cycle. It's so divided at the same time. Uh, but in any case, even there, it's not even half of the people that voted Democrat. This is back in 2019, something like that. So so, so pretty recent uh, numbers, right? So you need to ask yourself, why do women, if it's virtually this, it's feminism, if feminism, the modern day feminism, modern feminism, some con contemporary feminism, if they really do want equality, equality opportunity and equality before the law and equality of dignity as men, um, why don't they feel identified with the feminist movement? And that's very simple because it's very different. And during now, feminism has become go on the streets, strip on naked, and and say kill the patriarchy or or attack specific uh, political leaders. Um, and that and that's virtually what it's become. Um, um, there are there are right leaning parties or centre right leaning parties. Uh, I'm uh, Ursula von der Leyen, if I'm not so, so the president of the European Commission. If I'm not mistaken, she's from EPP, uh, so European People's Party. So initially a a a centre right party. I'm gonna check what um, what what political party she's from. Uh, 
Yeah, okay, EPP. Yeah, so I wasn't wrong, exactly. So that's virtually a centre-right party. In Spain, that's that's basically the BP, so, 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 so the popular uh, so the popular party, uh, which by the radical leftists is considered as a fascist movement, right? So the same people that are fascists, when it's virtually a centre-right party, a classic liberal party, maybe with some conservative traits on the end, they are considered a fascist movement and a misogynist movement, a, bigot a bigoted movement, when in the end there are people that have women at the head of their parties. So I, I, I really don't understand this thing of just tainting everyone as bigots, when in the end they are doing a lot more for feminism than you ever are. That's happening, again, I'm, I'm going to take the, 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 the Spanish political um, examples because those are mainly the ones that I know that I, I know more. I mean, okay, take the UK for example. Margaret Thatcher, she was a conservative, and she was a woman, right? You have now uh, the president of the Madrid community. She's a woman, and she's part of the centre-right party, right? And then the people from the centre-left party, they're all led by men. So what kind of feminism is that exactly? Are you really giving the same equality opportunity? Or are women there just for show? And you say you represent women one day, one, <laughs> one day a year, when other people have been representing them for... All, all of their days and if women don't get to this position that's that it, it, it's not it's not the end of the world either if women or a man doesn't get to a high level position it's not the end of the world very few people get to those levels that's something I'm going to speak a bit now a bit later on on why people don't get as high up as other people virtually is a very very small percentage of people that actually are that successful becoming presidents becoming uh, party leaders uh, becoming CEOs um, virtually anything any single high position you can think of, very, very few people get it there. And usually you don't get those high positions when you're 21. You get them when you're 40, when you're 50-ish, 60, even 70, 80. I mean, uh, basically you need to be a little bit older, you need to have a lot more experience, you need to have more knowledge, you need to have um, a, lot of, well, a, lot, a lot of studying to back that up, a lot of hard work to back that up. And generally what happens in each person's life around that is what's going to allow them to actually move up these stairs to get into high positions of power. It's not done overnight, and it shouldn't be done by quotas or just by what kind of identity you actually represent. It should be done by competence. That's how societies, societal structures, hierarchy can actually work. If you have competent people at the head of them that can actually delegate the right tasks and run a company, run a country, run a small business, whatever, and there should be competent people up there. Right. So that's the politicized feminist movement, which for me is not good whatsoever at all, because then it's essentially saying, if you don't vote for us, you're voting for the, uh, for the oppressive patriarchy that those other political groups represent. That's first thing. When it comes to matern maternity leaves, right, and this may be what we're going to speak about, what kind of rights the feminist movement are revendicating, because they always are revendicating their right, right? Um, there are a lot of places around the world, a lot of them, where women have nowhere near the same rights as men. Uh, they can't have a bank account, they can't drive, um, they can't go out of their house uh, in a certain way. Um, mainly imposed by government. So, 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 so it's not only social, socially cultural, let's say, but it's also imposed by government in lots of places. So lots of places around the world that women are still being very, very much oppressed in lots of different ways. As for the West, it is still happening. Women are being oppressed in different kinds of ways by being women, 
Now, is that institutional oppression? No, it is not. Is that conducted by individuals that didn't get the right sort of education, that weren't, uh, that are just bad people in general? Yes, right? That's the sort of oppression women are generally going to feel. That's the sort of oppression that generally are going to have. So when, when you're advocating some rights, okay, saying we want more rights, and I still have a hard time to see exactly which rights they are speaking about, uh, that can actually become law, that can become policy. Because uh, mostly they're all there. They they have the same rights as men at this point. I don't think... If, 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 if you can find me one law that's discriminatory against women uh, and that men don't have the same... Let's say it's, it's not applied in the same way to men, let's say... I'll, then show it to me at that point. Show it to me. Actually, there is one law in Spain that actually does... Uh, let's say, favour women uh, in some ways, but that's but that's something uh, another question. So when it comes to maternity leaves, that is something that is actually uh, interesting to speak about because it is something that women live. It's with maternity; they're the ones that can bear life. They're the ones. They're the ones that can give life. We're all here because a woman had us in her belly for nine months. Um, um, um mothers. And then we were, we were born. So women do carry the life, right? So maternity leaves is a, it's, it's an important issue. I personally love what the Scandinavian countries did. Scandinavian countries, what they did, uh, I think it's still in place. I'm not entirely sure which countries. Or, and, and if it's not, I still think it's a very good uh, policy idea that you can have 24 months to divide uh, in between the man and the woman or both men or both women or whoever is, uh, is a, um, having a child at that point. And they can divide those months. So if the woman decides stay at home for the, the the first three, four months of, of birth. And then she decides then to go back to work and then the man takes care of the kid for the remaining 20 months or 18 months. I find that really a really good idea because then again, it just virtually comes back to the choices they're going to make in their own family household. And it's not opposed by government uh, that a woman should stay at home up to eight, nine months, 10 months and virtually hurt her career, right? Now we speak about maternity leaves as a, as a right. You, you don't have a right to have children. Having children is not a right, okay? So in, at this other side of that story, if you decide to have children, you need, you need to accept the consequences that come with that, right? And a man cannot breastfeed. A biological man cannot breastfeed, okay? They'll say, yeah, men can breastfeed, okay, sure, but a biological man cannot breastfeed. Biologically, they cannot breastfeed. So essentially he cannot stay during the, begin, during the first months of of the birth of the child because they can't nourish it well enough unless if you start using these chemical stuff or or anyway uh food that it really isn't isn't as good to the baby as breast milk uh unless you want to go to breast milk factories then give some other breast milk to your kid which uh well if you want to do that then sure why not uh <laughs> i'm always under the philosophy that you can do whatever you want as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else so when it comes to maternity leaves, in it, in a way, uh, having a right is not a child. Uh, sorry, having a, having a child is not a fundamental right. If you have a child, you need to be prepared to assume the consequences. And this is much for the woman and for the man, right? Uh, I really admire women that have been able to balance family life, having children, uh, and at the same time, having a successful career or going forward with their career. Those are really strong women. Or women that have that that have renounced to having a child, even though they want to, because they want to pursue their career. I admire every single woman that has pursued their dreams, 
whatever they dreams, their dreams may be. If they dream now, if their dream is to become a housewife and have kids and stay at home and they pursue that, then good for them, honestly. I'm more happy for people to pursue what they want to do in life and to do what's best for them. That's what it all should be about. It's about your personal choice on how you can bear your own misery and not make your life as miserable by doing what you like doing. That's generally the whole idea of, of, being, a, of being a human, not just being a woman. For men, same thing. If a man, he wants to, his, his, his wish is to stay at home and become a house dad, and he really wants to do that, then more power to him. Become a house dad, have your kids, stay at home, work at home. That more power to you. Just do whatever you want to do. If you want to, if you don't want to have kids, you don't want to have a family, and you want to spend your whole life working and get to eighty years old and not have any grandkids to where to give to share your money with or any kids, as a matter of fact, then more freedom to you, right? Uh, we shouldn't start with a general social coercion, like to to force people to do things they do not initially want to do. Uh, I've been seeing this quite a bit with the with the feminist movement. Is that saying it's been happening a bit, and 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 I'm going to relate this actually to the big tobacco revolution back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and and I'm going to say why just in a second. So what's happening now is that they are saying for you to be a strong woman, you have to have your career. Uh, you don't need any man. You don't need a family. That's that's part of the feminist movement. Not all. Some, actually, some of the feminist movement reivindicates they they want to become mothers. They want to have a family. Um, they want to have a partner, a long life partner. So it really does depend, again, so many different feminist movements with so many different revendications. That's why it's become so difficult to actually say you're a feminist because then you never know which kind of feminism you're talking about, right? So this comes back to the thing that's saying you need to pursue your career choice, uh, your, your career, you need to become a head of a, uh, of a company, a CEO, president or whatever, right? They are pushing people and especially women to to pursue career outcomes, let's say, to become really successful career-wise. Um, this has become an issue for women that their initial goal wasn't to do that, that, that they actually wanted to bear children. And then they realized that when they get to 40, when they get to 45, they wanted children, but they, but they never thought of that, whether it's by social coercion, by, uh, by, by, by proper choice. I just think we shouldn't push anyone to make choices they do not want to make. I think people should have the free choice to do whatever they want to do and we shouldn't influence anyone in the choices they're going to make. So this influence saying that for you to be a strong woman, you need to be successful in your career, you need to have a job, etc. No, to be a strong woman, you need to be yourself. To be a strong person, you need to be yourself. That's, you need to be who you want to be, you need to do what you like doing. And don't let anyone tell you that for you to be a woman, you should stay at home and have children. And don't let anyone tell you that for you to be a woman, you should go out and, and pursue your career um to the maximum level possible no that please just make your own choices in life decide really what you want to do don't let anyone tell you otherwise if you want to become a housewoman become a housewoman if you want to pursue a a a strong career path pursue that strong career path if you want to do both and you think you can do it do both you have the freedom to do so you have it okay that's when it comes to to, to, to to maternity leaves and all of that. When it comes to abortion, that's also something that the big feminist movement is reivindicating. It's happened a lot recently in Argentina. It's happening in Poland. Um, uh, I think now some parts in, in, in the US, uh, you can no longer have an abortion when the baby is born. Um, the topic of abortion is 
is very complicated. I, I, I briefly brought it up previously, saying that the initial idea of abortion is that the people that are pro-choice uh, will always go like, it's our body, we go, we do whatever we want with our body. And the people that are pro-life are not actually making that same claim or the contrary to that claim. They're just saying that it's exactly because it's not your body that you cannot just do whatever you want to do with it. Um, when it comes to my personal view, and then I can a bit elaborate on that, I am I am I'm, I'm for abortion uh, up to around eight to twelve weeks. Now, a lot of pro-life people uh, would completely dismantle my 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 view because indeed I'm not as informed on the matter at hand, and I have watched and I have read a lot about arguments for pro-life, arguments for pro-choice. A bit a bit a bit difficult in there. Again. Calling abortion a right is it's a muddy water right there, a women's right, right? Because then when people talk about the baby's rights or if generally more most religious people or, or conservative people do regard human life starting at conception, that's the whole reason why that that's a human life because it started at conception. If that baby comes up to be a woman, then you're not respecting their rights either. Right, um, so that's also, tell you what, no, I'm, I'm not going to speak about abortion. It's uh, it's too much of a complicated topic and I really don't know much about it. I'm not a bioethicist, I'm not a, I'm, well, I'm not a biologist, um, anyway. But but abortion is also something that, that should be very, very carefully thought about because a lot of women are pro-abortion, a lot of women are, are against abortion. Um, and I don't think you should disregard someone's womanhood by saying you need to be pro-abortion to be a woman. And I think that's also a a politicized view that has, that has been appropriated by the feminist movement, saying that to be a woman, you need to be pro-abortion. Uh, when in the end, it's just a personal choice if if you want to be pro-abortion or against abortion. Um, that that dialogue in itself is a lot more complicated that, that, it, it, that it initially appears. And I'm under the impression uh, more from the pro-choice side of of the space where I, where I consider myself in um that side usually is like they don't want to hear the pro-life arguments uh because they're not respecting women's rights i'm the the way i see it is not that they're respecting women it's not that they're not respecting women's rights it's that they have a different perception on when human life starts that's that's the underlining question there is you need to decide when does human life start when human life starts you cannot kill that human life you just can't it's immoral it's unethical you cannot kill a human life when it starts uh for me it's eight 12 months uh weeks sorry for other people it can be conception um i think that after 12 months is very difficult because uh sorry 12 weeks i keep saying 12 months uh 12 weeks is very difficult because the baby is basically already formed that 12 weeks again it's uh it's a dodgy topic i'm not going to get into that coming now to woman quotas okay Women quotas. So, my issue with this is that we're getting into a space where we are directly assuming if that there aren't a lot of women at one specific, in one specific place, is because there's a problem with society. It's because there's a there's a tyrannical patriarchy uh, oppressing the women, and that's why they do not get up so high up in the social stratus, right? That, that's generally what it's saying is that if there aren't if there's not 51 percent women there it's because there's there's a glitch there's a problem 
there's something oppressive about that specific structure. Right. No. <laughs> Just no, it is not. I'm sorry. Um, to elaborate a bit more on this. Um, firstly, let's, let's define what kind of jobs. Okay. Let's, let's take, for example, the president of a, of a country, of a state. Okay. Mainly they have been male presidents. Right. When, when democracy or quote unquote democracy started, uh, in any case in Western society a, a couple of centuries ago, a uh, century ago, well, different changes, dictatorships and not, but virtually most of the people as heads of state, not heads of state, sorry, as presidents or prime ministers, because then heads of state, you have you have the kings and queens and the monarchies and such in Europe. But, uh, but it, 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 it generally has been men, right? It generally has been men. Um, you have a few exceptions. You have Margaret Thatcher back uh, in late 20th century, right? She was a big revolutionary moment for, for women, for womanhood. And, I, and I'm really happy the UK had, uh, had a person like that. Um, and of course, I mean, you cannot agree with, with her political views. Uh, but she's still a woman that made it up there. So she did, at that point, even, which it wasn't as easy for women to climb up the stratus then that it is now that's something i want to really 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 state is that something is what's happening what happened before what was happening before and something is what's happening today and how it's happening today just two very different things but at that point that's something to be very very proud of and something that the british people should be proud of and to stop saying that which is a tyrannical patriarchy and that women uh, can't get up the social stratus and that they have a glass ceiling up, uh, up their heads that's just that that's just not the case um so when it comes to to, to the issue of quotas that people want to put women uh, in high uh, in, in, in high positions of power, let's say. Um, it's virtually an issue because then what kind of criteria are you going to use for the selection of identities that should be represented at every single stratus in society? And this is why we mix it up. Okay, you can say men and women, fine. Then you can go, where do trans people go? Then you can go, where do... Uh, by gender people go where do agender people go where do androgynous people go and then the fundamentalist feminists can say no 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 it's just men and women because i only acknowledge two two genders and then the lgbtqi plus friendly feminists will go uh no actually it's every single gender so we could apply quotas for everything and um, 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 my issue there is when do you make a, a group more legitimate than another to have a special privilege in 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 your hierarchy or in your structure, when you can give them extra help, virtually through equity, because that's what equity means. Equity generally, when you go, you need to give more to some, basically, so they actually can get to the same uh, to the same outcome, right? Equality opportunities when you try to give everyone the same level, uh, you can put everyone on the same playing field. Then again, that's a bit of an utopia, because generally that comes to socioeconomic background too. And if you're born wealthy, you are more likely to have better opportunities. But again. Virtually quotas is quality of outcome, and that is bad. Uh, so it comes to this, who who decides of the legitimacy of each identity group and how that groups, and, and, and how those groups will be divided in positions of power? And why only positions of power? Why not working class jobs or middle class jobs or all sorts of different jobs? Are those less dignified jobs than higher, than, than higher positions? Um, I mean, there are lots of examples to give to this. And why only when men dominate? Why not these sectors where women dominate? Why? Why don't we insert quotas there too for men? 
because eventually you're going to have to level out. There's only a certain amount of people and a certain amount of positions you need to you need to fill in. So if you take women from one side and you put it in the other, you're going to have a lot of people without jobs on that side. So you have to fit them in another side, right? Bricklayers, 99% of bricklayers are men. I'm going to put quotas for that too. So we're going to do 50-50, basically. We're going, to, we're going to put half of that working force out of a job so you can let 50% on women to become bricklayers. Builders. How how would we see that? Um, in health, in education, in schools, primary schools, secondary schools, how are we going to do that? We, we, we're going to take virtually 20-30% of the women that are working there, telling them we need to bring men in. The thing is that when you start imposing quotas and you start giving people special privileges for specific positions, um, you need to make a counterbalance to that because people will be left out jobs. Um, again, the, the quota issue already arose with, with racial discrimination and affirmative action in the United States. What happened with Harvard University back in 2015, 2016, 2017? For a few years, they were discriminating against Asian um, students that were getting into Harvard because basically they wanted to let in more black students. So, so, so they told most of the Asian kids, you can't come in so we can use states for the black students. There was a whole process in that and, uh, and they went to a jury, uh, I think it was the Supreme Court maybe. Uh, and yes, it, it was acknowledged that they were doing that behind closed curtains, they were doing quotas for that, when virtually the ones really being jeopardized and hurt by these kind of, by, by these kind of policies were indeed the, the, the Asian population. So, so, so that was very, very harmful for that population there, where in the end, it wasn't the white population that got that got affected. And that was the general idea. Uh, they thought it was going to be the white population in the United States. And when this is going to happen, exactly the same thing, is that you can't put people in a position just because they fill in a specific quota, just because they represent a specific identity. People need to go there on competence, on merit, right? Regardless of the gender, sexual orientation or skin colour, I'm willing to believe, call me naive, I'm willing to believe that at this point we, we, we've come far enough to say that people can have that equality opportunity if they wish. Uh, we have fairly sustainable welfare systems, some of them not so sustainable because they're, they're way too um, inflated in, in some ways. But I'm, I'm, I'm willing to believe that. I, I really am, genuinely am. I'm, I'm willing to believe that if people want to work hard, if people really want... If people really know where they want to go, they can do that. All right. Anyway, regarding quotas, I've spoken I've, I've about that previously, and I'm not going to make this video a bit so longer. Oh, sorry, this podcast. I'm going to make another maybe 15 minutes, see if I can finish with, with all these other uh, sides. So now we come into the gender pay gap. Gender pay gap is the biggest lie pushed right now by some of the feminist movements. And I'm saying, well, some... Because I'm a feminist, lots of people are feminists, but don't put me in the same sack as other feminist groups. Um, and yes, a man can be a feminist because it's virtually just revendicating the equality of opportunity, equality of dignity and equality before the law between men and women. Uh, so why can't a man be feminist if I defend that? Anyways, uh, gender pay gap. The idea of the gender pay gap is that two people, right, with the same job, same hours, exactly same job, working the exactly same hours are not paid the same thing on the basis of gender, right? So a man and a woman, same job, same job, working exactly the same hours in the same space. So not one working in, in Sweden and another one working in Greece. No, no, no. Same. So two people in Sweden, for example, 
man and woman, same job, same working hours, etc., that the woman will be paid less. That's a lie. That's a lie. It's not true whatsoever. One man and one woman that have the exactly same job and 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 work the same hours are paid exactly the same. Right. There, there are laws for that. There are laws, there are anti-discrimination laws for that. Right. Now, what the gender pay gap actually does, they say there's a there's a five to ten percent um more income for men than women, right? So men earn more. Why is that? Okay. Men generally tend to choose different kinds of career paths for different kinds of reasons. Lots of different factors come into play to that. Men generally work on a on a medium longer hours. And take if, if you work 10% longer hours, you earn 40% more of your of your base salary, basically. So if if it's not it's not an equitable linear progression, let's say. It's not it's not a straight progression. If you work 10% more hours, you're gonna earn way more. You're gonna work up to 40% more of your base salary. That's generally what extra hours actually do, because you're not gonna get paid the same amount of money during that extra hour that that you work as if you were working in your normal hours. So men usually work more extra hours. That's one of the reasons. Men usually move more. Men are more prompt, let's say, or more are more inclined to move countries, to move from their place, to to move around. That generally gives you better job opportunities, right? So men do move more countries, uh, from a country to another. People from Spain might move to Germany because they get better job opportunities in Germany and they're gonna earn more uh, in that regard because they found a better job. A woman, if she doesn't accept it, or she does accept it, she will have this, if she accepts it, she will earn more if she goes to Germany. If she doesn't accept it, she will earn less because she will stay in Spain, right? And that's another reason. Uh, men usually work higher risk jobs. Higher risk jobs get paid more, right? That's another uh, reason, uh, another factor to gender pay gap. And if you ask me, five to five to ten percent overlap. It's not that big of of a disparity between between incomes. It's not that big considering the the massive changes or or the massive diversions in 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 job choices that there are between men and women. And between the 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 job choices, funny because then it comes to uh, to the implicit bias of social constructions, which I will get into that a bit in a second now regarding uh, um, uh, evolutionary psychology and biology and and a bit all of that. Um, so anyway, the gender pay gap is just a blatant lie. It's it's a it's a big fallacy pushed by the radical left to say that women you're not getting paid the same as your as your male equivalent which is not true. It is not true. And if that happens, if a man is really, really is getting paid more for being a man, having the exactly same job as another woman, that should be prosecuted in court and that company should be held accountable for that. That's it. That should go to court because that is against the law. It just is. So if, if, if it can happen, it can happen that you have a bigoted um, a CEO or a bigoted, um, well, misogynist bigots or whatever you want to call it uh, someone that is sexist that does discriminate against women for being women and you will therefore get paid less if that happens go to court please just denounce it lots of people will be behind you and i'll be the first one supporting you in that claim i'll be the first one saying that's not right put that man in jail i'll be right beside you until then if you are getting exactly the same pay as your male equivalent for the exact same job the exact same hours there's no gender pay gap.
because men and women are paid virtually the same if they are doing the same job. The problem here is that men and women do not do the same jobs. That's why men are getting paid more, because they have different jobs. Is that bad? Not necessarily. Why should it be bad if that's their choice? If people chose to go to some specific places to, to one way or another. Now, here when we come to personal choice, and then when it comes now to the social constructionist narrative or argument saying that women uh, are, are programmed to choose health and positions in education, for example, in health and education, that they are programmed to do that. This is where we come to the gender paradox. Gender paradox, if you haven't heard about it, basically it's it's displaying a bit what happened in the Scandinavian countries. And what, cap and what happened is the following. Scandinavian countries arguably have done the most to, to flatten down uh, the gender bias, right? Or our perception of genders. They've done the most to, through policy mainly and through social cultural dynamics in general, to flatten down the roles of men and women. They've, they've tried, for example, uh, the maternity leave, so, so they're gonna promote more men to stay at home and take care of the kids. That kind of stuff, which, which I think that's great. I think that's great. Um, now, they've tried that in comparison to a lot of other countries. Uh, in, in Europe, maybe, or in or in Eastern Europe, uh, in continental Europe, in Asia, Africa, whatever. But 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 let's stick to, to the, let's stick to the European continent uh, for this for this thing, and maybe even Western society in general. So they've done the most in terms of policy. So they've tried to reduce the social constructions to a minimum or to a zero level as much. So so the idea in that if you take out all the social constructions, the the thesis of 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 the reason of why women or more like the hypothesis of the reason of why women uh, choose certain jobs is because of social constructions, right? So if government and society have done a maximum to reduce these social constructions to a zero, what's been happening in Scandinavian countries, then generally what should happen is that men and women shouldn't end up in equal proportion at every single level in society, at every single job, because they've been educated the same way. Uh, girls don't no longer play with the, with pink, boys no longer play with blue, um, Girls no longer play with dolls, with dolls, boys no longer play with trucks, a boy plays with a doll, a girl plays with a truck, and so on and so forth. They've tried to do this to a maximum extent for the past decades. So a couple generations have gone past and these and this testing has been gone through. And we're not talking about a small test in a small town, we're doing about population-wide testing and, and well, general uh, sociolo sociological analysis in that regard. What happened? The women in the STEM field are far less than in other countries that haven't done as much to suppress the social constructions or the social bias between masculine roles and feminine roles. Shocking. That's shocking. That's what happened. Now the STEM field in Scandinavia is pretty much very much dominated by men. It's around 70 to 30 or 35 to 65, something of the sort. Whereas in Bulgaria or the Eastern European countries or Middle Eastern countries, I think I, I, I did a, an, an article about this a, a couple of years ago. I think it was maybe Israel or, or Palestine. I can't remember the exact country. But where the STEM fields was essentially 50-50. 50-50. Women in STEM in Eastern countries where they haven't done as much to reduce as, as much as possible the social constructions uh, of of let's say of the perception of what defines masculinity and what defines femininity, what defines a man, what defines a woman, 
those countries haven't done haven't done as much, and they still have a better parity in the STEM field. Which generally we speak about STEM. We speak about women in STEM, women in technology, women in mathematics, women in science. So STEM is science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. For those that, that aren't aware, which mainly are are sectors that are that are dominated by men, or or that's how it's being portrayed. Uh, then again, there are some countries, uh, Eastern Europe, outside of Europe, even uh, that haven't done as much. And I'm and, and, and I'm really going to to state this: they haven't done as much as to suppress the social constructions uh, between men and women. And still, the STEM level is uh, is um, is more balanced than in the Scandinavian countries where they have, right? Um, and this comes also towards education and health. A lot more women in education and health than in the other countries, proportionally, right? Uh, why is that? Again, because this comes back to biology, psychological traits. I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a biologist. This is just some common knowledge that any psychologist or any evolutionary biologist or evolutionary psychologist, however you want to call them, people that do understand the human brain and have studied the human brain and have studied the human body, People like this that are worth their salt, they will tell you this. They will tell you that. They will tell you exactly the same thing. That um, in terms of, of of psychological traits, men and women are not the same. I'm, I'm sorry, they're just not the same. There are some biological traits that define men and some other biological traits that define women. It's a small overlap. It's like a 5 to 10% overlap from one specific biological trait to another. The problem is... The problem is not at the middle, it's that the biggest changes in society will be done at the extremes. It's only the best and the worst in society that will make a change. Let's take violence, for example. In prisons, it's around a 10 to 1 ratio, men to women. So there are 10 more men than women in prisons. Why is that? Men are more violent. Men are, are generally more violent, right? For testosterone, uh, different kinds of hormones, different kinds of reasons. Uh, that's why I like to believe that then in the end you need to educate your kids well, not to do stupid things and not to harass people. So we can speak about harassment just in a second, but you need to educate your kids, to educate your, your daughters as your sons. You need to educate absolutely everyone, just be respectful to absolutely everyone. That's just that, that's just common sense. That's just manners. You need to be respectful to absolutely everyone. Anyway, so 10 to 1 people go to prison. Problem is that you can't get every single bad person in prison. You take the worst from the worst. So in the worst from the worst, if there's only a 5 to 10% overlap from man to woman in terms of violence or, or, or in terms of, of a, let's say, impulsive violence, let's say, you, you do have quite a lot of overlap of men and women that are also, that are more the same in, in terms of violent settings. But you're going to get the most violent people of those 100 people, where maybe out of five people, the most violent people of that group, the five of them will be men right uh, that's what happens is that the only the most violent people go to prison so even if there is an overlap at the, at the middle and men and women are more are more the same that they are different the problems just happens at the extremes and that's where it changes so the less violent people is going to be women and the more violent people are going to be men in a in a preponderant majority in a big majority not in the middle that generally stays the same but when you get the the least violent people and the most violent people, you're gonna have you're gonna have women, you're gonna have men. That's just when you try to calculate the medium, and then what happens at the extremes. If you don't take the medium into account, then it's a then it's a different story. Um, anyway, so that's generally what happens. Um, women, for example, are more are more 
are more sensitive to negative emotion than men, right? What happens in this? Uh, for example, in terms of suicide rates, m women usually um, have more suicidal attempts than men, right? But men are more successful in committing suicide. What I mean by successful, because they are they use more lethal methods, right? So that can also come in speaking, because the people are going to people have mental health issues that are going to commit suicide. Are usually, people that have the worst mental health issues are the extremes, right? This comes to the same idea: is that if a person is really bad and they really are the extreme of the mental problems, that's when they're going to start thinking about suicide. And suicide and mental health is something very, very delicate and something very important that should be really spoken about more to help people because suicide is a is a is a devastating thing it's a horrible thing i've lived it in my personal life um and it's not something to be taken lightly um so that's really something to take into account men are going to use more lethal ways of suicide than women right women will commit more attempts to suicide but men will be more lethal in their ways of of achieving that so 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 that so that's another um that's another trait, and then you can also speak about psychological traits in terms of in in, in terms of voting patterns, right? Uh, liberals, or not liberals again. I keep I keep speaking the American way, uh, or the Anglo-Saxon way. Uh, leftists usually are more open, uh, show more traits in openness than uh, than than people on the right, and and all sorts of things. Um, but that's that's one part of the idea that there are psychological traits, and again, I'm 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 not asking people to take my word for everything I am saying. I'm asking people to do your research on everything I've said. On Do your research on abortion if you're interested in that. Um, I've been speaking with people that, that they didn't, they virtually knew nothing about abortion. I don't know much about abortion, but I've, didn't, I've done a minimum of research. But then they they didn't even know that now people are actually doing post-birth post, post -birth abortions. That's actually become something normal. Um, I think it's, I've, I forgot the name, uh, but it's something that has been having. If people have disabilities at birth, that is becoming more or less legal. People are pushing for that to be legal, to kill a baby when it's born. That's just, oh my God, it's just horrendous. It's horrible. really is. So anyway, just do your research about abortion. Do your research about the gender pay gap and see exactly what kind of differences there are. And again, people should get to their place based on merit. We should make sure that everyone has the same equality opportunity. We should celebrate women, womanhood, and what the feminist movement generally does represent. Um, and then I'm going to leave the, the, the harassment and the Me Too movement for our next episode uh, because I need to leave. <laughs> time, time has flown quite a bit. But the, yes, for, I'm, I'm really I'm going to try soon enough to have someone on board. I'm really I'm going to try and bring a debate to the table uh, with someone to speak about feminism, uh, hopefully someone that is a very, very pro-feminist and really does um, work from, from that side. Uh, in any case, I just babbled around a bit, uh, bit with my problem right now with the feminist movement and the, the underlining issues that, that should be discussed. But in any case, uh, I'm going to leave it there for today. I really do hope you enjoyed uh we will see you next week what kind of uh on what kind of thing we're going to i'm going to speak about i've already started a another project which, which is called the civic space which that you'll be well you'll be informed soon enough it's on facebook if you want to check it out is the civic space uh you can check that also follow on youtube subscribe like the videos if you like them and if you have any feedback any any constructive feedback feel free to send me an email uh, the civic podcast at gmail.com so that'll be awesome 
and also maybe if you want to come on the show if you have some let's say important things you would like to share that would also be cool to have more people on here to discuss but again i would like to have those settings in a person person to person i'm going to make a nice setting where i can invite people over and have nice discussions uh with a glass of whiskey a glass of wine or a gin tonic or whatever or even a coffee or a tea if they want uh just to have it a bit more informal conversations with people it really would be nice uh for everyone there in any case i'm gonna leave it up to there again thank you everyone for watching and for being here i hope i wasn't uh too abstract with my claims or I try to be as, as specific as possible, but then again, it's just subjects that I really don't dominate as much. I'm, I'm not claiming to know everything about this. I'm just asking people to actually do their research on these on, on these things. And then after that, I'm happy. If, if you disagree with me, I'm ha happy that you tell me how you disagree. And I'm happy for you to change my mind. Apart from that, I'm going to leave it there. Again, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. This is Ismael Pai Civico, and this was The Civic Podcast. See you next time.